Amen. Uh, this morning, uh, I am so excited to be able to start a new series with us. Uh, we are starting a series on the Gospel of Mark. And so my plan is we'll spend about four weeks. Um, obviously, we're not going to be able to go verse by verse and, and passage by passage and really dive into each one. As usually, uh, Sunday evening service is where we do that. And so, for example, tonight we're going to be finishing up chapters 3 of 1 Thessalonians. And on Sunday evenings, what we do with our uh, service here, it's kind of a, we call it like a family service. Everyone's in the same room. And we all just get into God's Word. And usually on Sunday evenings, we'll go through an entire book of Scripture, verse by verse, passage by passage. Uh, there's a lot of interaction, questions and answers and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, this morning, uh, we're doing something a little bit different and that I'm kind of taking that idea and applying it to our Sunday morning. But we're going to kind of go for the next four weeks through the Gospel of Mark and really just kind of dive in to see what God has for us. Um, for whatever reason, God, the last couple of months has seemed to really keep bringing me back to passages in Mark. Um, we've done a couple sermons on things from the Gospel of Mark in the last couple of months. And even in my own kind of personal study, um, I've been just kind of going through chapter by chapter. And I don't know how you do your devotions and whatnot. Um, I, I don't usually do a structured devotion, meaning like, you know, here's this question, here's this answer. Those are good, and I have used those before, and I do use them at times. But for me, sometimes, uh, just getting the Bible open, getting a notebook, and then just reading through a passage and just making all the observations I can. Just kind of looking at, okay, what's going on here? What questions do I have? And then from that, diving deeper into the text through different resources or tools that are available to us, whether it be commentaries or Bible dictionaries or things of that kind. And so this morning, what I want to do is we're going to start a study through the Gospel of Mark. We're going to hit a few key things through the Gospel and pray the Lord will give us great wisdom as we desire to know more of His Word. Also this morning, I'm going to give you a lot of background information about Mark, who is he, and all the things revolving around that. And so let me just say at the onset here, if you want a copy of my notes that have all that information in there, if you're a note taker, your pencil might just start smoking, okay, if you're trying to write all this down. Um, maybe you're on your device and you're using a, a pen that way and you're writing things down, those Apple pens or whatever. I mean, whatever it is, I encourage you to take notes. But if you aren't able to do that or you want more information, please reach out to me. Um, I would love to just send you digitally or even a paper copy of the notes that you would have everything that I'm going to talk about this morning. But I have to give a little warning there. I've had people ask me for notes before. And they'll usually start off by saying, man, you said... You said something this morning that really spoke to me. Can I get a copy of your notes so I can have that? And I always say, sure, absolutely. Here's the notes. But here's the warning. Everything I say isn't necessarily in the notes, believe it or not, okay? Sometimes, there's been times where someone will go, man, you got a great point about this passage. And they'll look in the notes and go, I don't see the notes. I said, well, because it must have just came to me in that moment. I don't know. I don't always go off the notes. But majority, 99.9% .9 is going to be in the notes for you to have a copy of. And I got to say, I'm really excited about this morning because usually I have about three and a half pages of notes for a normal sermon. Okay. Depends on the sermon, but usually it's about that long. This morning I've got about four and a half pages. So I'm just letting you know, it's 1121. We just started and most of what I've just told you isn't in the notes. Okay. So let's just, we're going to jump in and see how, how we do. To get us started, though, on the right kind of way of thinking, um, how many of you, bef not using GPS, or if you're really old like me, you used MapQuest, right? If you're really, really, really old, you used an actual map, okay? Like you had to actually pull out the atlas, the map, and you had to find it, right? When I was in college, we just went on MapQuest. 
Anybody use MapQuest back in the day? Anybody MapQuest users? Okay. You know what was awesome about MapQuest? Not updating for construction. That was always, because then you're like, I can't get through here, but the map tells me take this and do that. There's no GPS. But apart from maps or GPS, how many of you actually enjoy following someone in your vehicle if you don't know where they're going? How many of you enjoy doing that? That's about what I expected, okay? When you follow someone, there's two kinds of people that you're going to follow. Now, if you're, if you're smart, you'll ask the person as you're getting in your vehicles, you'll say, hey, just in case we get separated, where are we going? Tell me the rough directions, and then I'll meet you there if I have to. But if you're like me, and you've had to follow someone, and you didn't ask that question, and you thought of it about 10 minutes down the road, you, you kind of know where you're going, but you don't know for sure. There's two kinds of people you're going to follow. One, drive extra careful, right? They're super cautious. I mean, it's a yellow light a quarter mile away, and they're like, we better start slowing down, right? Like, it's going to stop any second now, okay? Then there's the other kind of person that you follow. And this person approaches a little yellow light with the idea that that yellow light means drive as fast as possible to get through the intersection. So as to leave the person following you at the red light, okay? And I've been with people who were leading people and other people were following. And I see it and I go, hey, they're going to get stopped at a red light. And they say, well, that's their problem. They better speed up. I'm like, whoa, that's some aggression right there, okay? We've all had these moments where we're trying to follow somebody. But most of us, apparently all of us, don't enjoy following someone because we don't really know where we're going. And it's hard to keep up with certain people when you're in a vehicle, trying to keep up with them. Again, because usually people don't think, oh, wait, someone's following me. I'm just driving like I normally drive, which for some of you is pretty crazy. Okay. So yes, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Amen. Okay. But in the gospel of Mark, and I want to use that as an illustration to what we're going to do through Mark. If you've never really got into the gospel of Mark, Mark's gospel is pretty unique in one clear way. Mark is all about just quickly following Jesus. And what I want to encourage you with this morning, as we dive into this, we have to stay close up on the gospel of Mark. We have to stay really tight to the passages because we're going to be following Jesus through this gospel. And it's quick. It's one thing to the next as we're going to dive into in a minute here. And as we do that, we need to stay close to Jesus through the gospel of Mark so as to get to where we want to go. And where we want to go this morning, I'll give you the destination ahead of time, just so in case you get turned around somewhere along the way. We want to end this four-week journey fully devoted followers of Christ. That's our goal. And you might say, oh, I'm already saved. I'm already saved. I'm already a full follower of Christ. Awesome. Every single day, with the grace of God given to us and the direction and leadership of the Holy Spirit, we can grow into more fully devoted followers of Christ every day. And so our goal of the next four weeks is, Lord, we want to get so close to you that we want to get to know you so intimately that we get devoted in our devotion to you, that we become passionate in our devotion to you. As we go through the next four weeks, we're going to read similar passages that you've already read. Many of us have read through the Gospels, if not the majority of the New Testament. Many of us are familiar with some of the stories we're going to read. And so my warning to you there is be careful. Because sometimes, like when you're following somebody, you think you know where you're going. And you don't pay as close attention. And the next thing you know, you get turned around. And you're confused. And you don't really know where to go. 
in this gospel. We're going to read some familiar stories, but I pray that you'll do your very best to read them as though they're not familiar. To ask the Spirit of God to illuminate your mind, to make you aware of what the Word says so that we could grow deeper in our understanding of these things. In the Gospel of Mark, we are going to be, again, following Jesus, and we need to follow closely. Mark does not give us all the detailed conversations of Christ as other Gospels do. However, he moves quickly from one amazing moment in Christ's life to another. Some common words that you will read in the Gospel of Mark, especially if you're using the King James Version, I'll give you two words you're going to see in the King James that gets translated to another word in some of the more modern English translations. They're not wrong words. They're, they're great modern words for these things. But if you're using the King James, one of the words you're going to see, two of them rather, straightway and forthwith. You're going to see that a lot in the Gospel of Mark. Straightway and forthwith. The King James also does use the word immediately. In some of your more modern translations, for straightway or forthwith, they may just use the word immediately. So that's just an example of what you're going to see in this quick, moving, fast-paced gospel. It's he was here, then he was there, then he was over here, then he's doing this, then he's over here. Immediately they did this, and immediately they did this. Just as an example, the word immediately in Mark chapter 1 verse 12. We're not going to read the verse just yet, but just as an example. Mark chapter 1 verse 12, that word immediately is used 47 times as immediately or as just then. Another example you may see, just then. So he was here and then just then he's over here. Mark's just giving us these quick snapshots of the life and ministry of Christ. So I want to dive into this opening verse of the gospel of Mark. So Mark chapter 1 and verse 1 Again, if you're using one of the Bibles provided in the seats there, that's page 697. So if you're using a Bible that's been provided to you through the chairs there, or in the chairs there, that's 697 is the page you're going to need to turn to, which is where we'll find Mark chapter 1 and verse 1. So Mark 1 and verse 1. And I, we're going to unpack this verse just a little bit this morning. Mark says this in his gospel, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now we have to identify two key things in this opening verse. And so many times, if you're like me, you read the first verse and you go, okay, got it. And you move to verse two and verse three and verse four and verse five. And you just read it in a section. But man, we miss so much when we don't pause and just let the scripture kind of speak to us in that moment. Now I'm not talking about audibly. I'm not talking about an audible voice. I'm saying the spirit of God within us as a follower of Christ will, will allow this word to speak to us, to move us, to draw us into seeing things in the passage that maybe we didn't see before to help us to grow again in Christ. The gospel is mentioned here. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is unique and powerful. I said it a few weeks ago. One pastor, one speaker, Alistair Begg, he said it this way. Even believers every single day need to preach the gospel to themselves. That as believers who have received the gospel every single day, we need to preach that gospel back to ourselves every single day. And why would that be? Because if we forget the core foundation of this Christian life in the gospel as Christ coming to us, Christ forgiving us, his grace over our sin. If we forget that even for a moment, we start to think somehow it's about us in this Christian life. And again, I've said it before, you flip on the TV or you jump on the internet, man, there's some great preaching 
about that if you want to feel good about yourself. If you want to think it's all about you, you can find that guy or girl on TV somewhere. But I'm telling you, when we realize it's about Jesus and his gospel, the good news. And what's amazing about this is who is that good news for? Just us church people? Now, Luke tells us that when the angels proclaim this is good news for all peoples, there's no designated group that the gospel is for them and not for all these people because, you know, they look different than me. They talk different than me. They don't have the same social class as me. They don't have the same bank account as me. They don't live where I live. No, the Bible is clear. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for all peoples. That word peoples is like people groups, language groups, individual people groups and tribes and tongues. So I love the Bible. It doesn't just say nations, meaning Italy and France and, and England. It says peoples, tribes, and tongues. It's these individual people groups that exist in this greater nation. The Bible is so clear. I mean, those people need the gospel. That's why, again, I said it before, but I'll say it again. I'm so thankful for every gift that is given to this ministry that we can take and partner with missionaries all over the world. You guys, if you've ever studied about what Ethnos 360 does, allowing missionaries to go to jungles in the middle of nowhere, to people groups that nobody's even heard of before, that don't even have a written language of their language in existence in 2021. And Ethnos gets to send a missionary in and they begin to learn the language and learn the culture and create an actual alphabet to that language and then teach the people how to read the language that they just created for them. All for one purpose, to translate this book into that language that they would know the gospel. And when you give to the ministry here at North Goodland, you're giving to Ethnos 360, you're giving to Ben and Jody Baum who are missionaries that are serving in the new, or off-grid, it's called off-grid now, off-grid tech center. You know what they do? They provide the resources so that missionaries can sit in the middle of a jungle with a laptop and translate right there. They don't have to wait for things to be sent to them. They can do it right there off of solar power. Why? Because missionaries like Ben and Jody are providing the resources and the training to send these missionaries and send the resources, and you're supporting that ministry happening, and you'll never meet potentially the person sitting in the jungle translating the Bible. But one day, someone from that people group might come up to you in heaven. And the reason that person came to Christ is because the missionary shared Christ with them. And the reason that missionary was able to be in that tribe was because Ben and Jody were able to send them there with the training and the supplies. And the reason they could do that is because you sat in Emily City, wrote a check, or jumped on your phone, and gave 20 bucks. Boom. That's how ministry happens. It seems so crazy. But the gospel is for everyone. But the other phrase we have to pause and recognize is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Man, I, I pray that when we read that, and I know I don't always do this, but when I pray when we read that, that that phrase would still resonate with us. Like, like when we read that, we're actually in awe of that phrase, the Son of God. And he came here for you, for me. The gospel is good news because Jesus, the son of God, came. Not because he had to, because he chose to. Man, I pray that when you read that, and maybe, listen, maybe you've been in church too long. And you might think, whoa, whoa, time out. How's that a bad thing? 
I've said this before, but it's worth saying again. Maybe you've been in church too long where you read that phrase and it just doesn't resonate with you because you've grown dull of hearing. You see, a lot of times we in church, we like to talk about those with itching ears. Oh man, we love to talk about those and those other churches with the itching ears. And there are those in other churches that have itching ears, which the Bible refers to those that only want to hear teaching that satisfies them, that validates them, that affirms them, that promotes them. Don't tell me any of that convicting stuff, preacher. I just want the stuff that makes me feel good. That's what the Bible is referring to by itching ears. But there's another phrase that there are those who have grown dull in hearing. They're just kind of indifferent to the things of God. They're not hearing the words of God like they once did because they've just gone, kind of grown apathetic. Man, when you read that phrase, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, does it stir you? It does it move you to think, man, I am so blessed to know that man, Jesus Christ, as my savior. And then it motivates me to share it with others because they need the gospel. And to me, these phrases in this opening verse, we could be done right now. I mean, there's enough there to just satisfy our souls, to satisfy every desire. So many of us think we need something else to satisfy us. Listen, you only need Jesus, the Son of God. And in him, we are complete and content. So again, I pray that that phrase, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has not lost something on us, that we still stand in awe of the reality that Christ is the Son of God, holy, mighty, righteous and true, but gracious and merciful to those that would believe. So understanding just a little bit of this opening verse, I want to jump into some background on the Gospel of Mark. And you are paying attention. You did see me just turn one page. So we're on page two now for those keeping track. But I want to dive into some background here because one of the things I find really interesting is that so many people read the scriptures without really doing that little bit of extra legwork to kind of know what's going on. And scripture is unique. This is not like any other book you'll ever pick up. So many people treat this like a novel. It's just something to read cover to cover. And you can read it cover to cover and it's going to be very good for you to do that. But each passage, each book, each verse, you can dive into and find out the background on these things, which illuminates our mind again to what's going on here. Maybe some of you know these things, but I just want to give you a little background so we're all on the same page. The first thing we have to note is a question we ask. It says, the gospel according to Mark, if you have that in your Bible. Some of you, it says, St. Mark. Uh, some of you just says, Mark. But what, who is this Mark that we're speaking of here? If you read the gospels and you read the list of the disciples, the early disciples, the 12, you're not going to find Mark's name mentioned there, which has confused many people. Well, how did a guy who wasn't even part of the original 12 write a book in the Bible, let alone a gospel. So who is Mark? Well, if you've studied it out, Mark, also known as John Mark. So we know anyone with the name of John is someone that's divine and trustworthy, godly individual. That was kind of a joke, but I don't know. Maybe there's some trustworthy. I don't know. Anyway, so John Mark is his actual name. Uh, Mark was a co-worker in the gospel with the apostle Paul. He also worked with the apostle Peter and was a cousin to Barnabas, who we read about in the book of Acts. And so cousin of Barnabas, a co-worker, he worked in the ministry with Paul as well as Peter. Now we know Peter was one of the original 12 and Paul was called later an apostle out of time, he calls himself. But again, one of the ones called by God to follow as an apostle. 
Now, John, Mark, Barnabas, and Paul, many of you have heard this story or you've read this in Acts, had a very interesting relationship. Paul and Barnabas, and if you're not really familiar with it, I encourage you to read really Acts chapter 9 is where we see the conversion of Paul. And then in really chapter 11 on, we see this amazing story of the ministry of Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, the one that wrote a third of the New Testament. Well, Paul and Barnabas went on these missionary trips, and they traveled around, and they kind of would do little circles. They would go a little bit out, then a little bit farther out, and then really far out. And that was their goal. They wanted to just minister to as many people as possible to preach the gospel. And Barnabas, being the son of consolation or the son of comfort, son of encouragement, came along Paul when nobody else believed in Paul, put his arm around Paul, figuratively and said, I believe in his conversion. I believe God has great plans for him. I'm going to stand with him. When the early church was terrified of Paul, because Paul's background as Saul, same guy, different name, his background was one of a persecutor of the church. He put Christians in prison. He, he attacked the believers. He oversaw the death of the first martyr we read about in scripture in Stephen in Acts chapter seven. So we, this guy was, was not the best testimony, the best reputation. By the way, if you have a bad reputation, you got a bad past. You got some things in your background you're not really happy about. When you give your life to Christ, don't ask me how he does it, but he does it. He takes those things and uses them for his glory to bless others and to bless you and to glorify his name. Don't ever let your past make you think you're unusable. In fact, the minute you embrace your past mistakes, repent and turn from those things in Christ and give them to him, he'll actually use them to bless others. It's, I don't know how he does it, but he does it. The apostle Paul stood with Barnabas Barnabas spoke up for him, and they went on this journey. Well, on that first journey, Mark goes with them. Makes sense. Barnabas' cousin, they decide to go get him. He goes with them. Not too far into the trip, Mark bails. We don't know. Maybe it was because he got tired. Maybe it was because he was scared. Maybe because he missed home. Whatever. He leaves the trip. The next time around, they go to go on their trip, and Barnabas says, hey, I know. Let's take John Mark with us and encourage him. Paul wants nothing to do with that. I'm paraphrasing, but Paul wants nothing to do with John Mark. Why? Because if he quit before, he'll quit again. And Barnabas and Paul get into such a division over this, they actually split ways. Now, they're not enemies. They don't, you know, gossip about each other. Did you hear what Paul did? Did you hear what Barnabas did? Okay. Because they're not in a Baptist church, so they don't do that. Okay. Okay. They don't do that, right? They just make an agreement. Listen, we're not seeing eye to eye in this. Paul takes Silas and he travels one direction. Barnabas takes Mark and travels another direction, right? Back to Cyprus. And they just decide we're going to both keep doing ministry, but just separately because we're just not in agreement on this. But I'm always amazed by that story. And I have to recount that story when I talk about Barnabas and Mark and Paul, because not too long before this, nobody believed in Paul. But Barnabas said, I'll stand with you. I'll believe that God is a call in your life. And isn't it amazing, even when we experience those things and we have people turn backs on us and say, there's no way God can use you. And then somebody comes alongside and picks us up. Man, that feels good, doesn't it? When somebody believes that God actually has a call in our life and encourages us. And then when somebody else comes along that failed, even those of us that have been shown great grace will say, nope, I don't, mm -mm, nope, nothing to do with them. They're just going to bail again. They're going to quit again. Nope, no second chance. Nope, nope, we're done. Isn't it amazing how even those of us that have been forgiven of great sin by grace can forget to extend grace to others? But Barnabas was a man that said, nope, I'm not going to let Mark be discouraged. Now, I'm so thankful you can study it all out on your own. But Paul, not too long after this, realizes he was wrong, admits that Mark was actually fruitful to the ministry and encourages others in that fact. And so John Mark was a believer who worked with Paul. 
and Peter and Barnabas and did great things for the Lord. Another question you may ask is, how did Mark know the life and ministry of Christ if he wasn't an original disciple? How did Mark know all the things that happened in the life of Christ if he wasn't one of the 12, he wasn't there all the time, he wasn't in the conversations, he didn't see everything firsthand? We don't really know 100% the answer to that question, but we have church history and church tradition which tells us a potential answer. Early church tradition suggests that Mark's knowledge, again, apart from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we know the Spirit of God inspired him to write these words, but apart from that, the knowledge that he had of the details of the life of Christ came from the Apostle Peter. Again, Peter and Mark ministered together. So Peter shared a lot of this with Mark. After that, Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, arranges the moments of the life of Christ in a systematic way to convey that Jesus is the Son of God. So the whole Gospel of Mark is establishing that first verse. He says, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and then everything he's going to tell us affirms that's true. He's pointing us to that reality. Listen, everything I'm going to share with you is for one purpose, that you would know the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. So what was the purpose of writing this gospel along with affirming that truth? Is there anything else that we can find here? Well, Mark's gospel gives us a picture of Jesus Christ, the servant. Many would assume that or conclude that. A key verse for the whole gospel could be, and again, you can jot it down for note's sake. We'll read it later in future weeks. But I'll read it here just to give us the, uh, the summary verse. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. A good summary verse for the gospel of Mark. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Again, it's just expounding on what is the gospel, that Jesus Christ came to give his life for us, that he came to die on the cross for our sins, to be buried and rise again. By the way, that line in that song we sang, when it says his buried body began to breathe, Could you imagine being in that moment? You see the grave clothes start to move with breath filling his lungs. And then that line about the roaring lion. Man, when when he walks, hear me now, when he walks out of that tomb under his own power, man, that's the power of God. That's the lion of Judah that we read about. Mark's gospel, also it's believed that he wrote this gospel while in Rome. And those initially receiving this gospel were non-Jewish believers, or we would call them Gentile believers. Because Mark actually explains Jewish traditions in his gospel. He does unpack what traditions he's referring to. He translates Aramaic words. Also, Mark uses the fewest Old Testament quotes and never references the Jewish law. So Mark's gospel, another unique thing about Mark's gospel is he uses the fewest Old Testament quotes. Now he does use them. He's getting ready to use one in chapter one. But the fewest among the other gospels. And he never references the Jewish law. Why? Because if he's writing to people that aren't Jewish in their background, the law, they're not going to have firsthand knowledge of that. So he's going to come at this a different way to get them to realize their sin and need for a savior. Also, it's worth noting the Christians in Rome were under great persecution at the time of this writing. It is believed that Peter was also in Rome during his last days of his life before being martyred. Mark's purpose would be to encourage the believers for the coming and growing persecution. So there's current persecution, but it's going to get worse. 
So he's preparing them for that by laying before them the suffering Messiah of the life of Christ. That Jesus came to suffer and die for us to serve us by providing our greatest need, the forgiveness of sin. So my encouragement to us today is as we go through these next four weeks, that we would be affirmed in that opening verse. That you would know that Jesus is the Son of God. And that the gospel is for all people. The gospel is for you. The gospel is for me. But also, in the face of growing and coming persecution, persecution for the church is nothing new. If you're surprised by it, you've been ignoring parts of Scripture that are pretty clear about it. Anytime we stand for Christ, there will be persecution that comes against us. Not only from outside, but also from within. Our own flesh hates those things that God wants us to do. But as that's around us, we look to Scripture and we are encouraged by the suffering Savior to know if he suffered and died, he can strengthen me as we're being or have been persecuted. So may we see our world around us becoming, or as we see our world around us becoming antagonistic to the things of Christ, may we gain much confidence as well as we journey through this gospel following Jesus. And so let's jump in to this opening passage. And we aren't going to obviously get through all of this, but that's fine. So the beginning of Christ's ministry, we're just going to read the first uh, 11 verses. So you're already there in the gospel of Mark. We're going to look at verses 2 through 11. The beginning of Christ's ministry, we're going to see the baptism of Christ. The baptism of Christ. So look at verse 2 with me, and I'm just going to read down through. As it is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. So here's a quote. He's quoting the Old Testament. He's saying, the Old Testament prophesied that somebody would come and prepare the way. That's the prophecy. Verse 3, the the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Verse 4. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Don't misread that. We're going to unpack this. Baptism is not what allows us remission of sins. It is the confession and repentance. And the fruit of that is baptism. There's still repentance here that leads to the remission of sins. It's not the act of baptism that forgave their sins. Verse 5. And there went out unto him all the land of Judah... And they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of a skin about his loins. And he did eat locusts and wild honey. Mmm. I don't know about you, but when I get to lunch, I'm going to be like, can I get some of that locust and wild honey, please? Because that just sounds delicious. If you find a recipe for that, let me know. I'd be interested. Okay. Verse 7, and preached, saying, There comes one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. So John's the fulfillment of prophecy, but also laying a little prophecy out there. He's kind of laying down what's going to happen here. Verse 9, and it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Here we see this beautiful moment in the beginning of the ministry of Christ, the baptism of Christ. 
And as we unpack this, we have to note that John the Baptist, now not the denomination, okay? He wasn't going to a potluck after this. He wasn't the denomination of Baptists, okay? He's John the Baptist because he does the act of baptism. But uh, he was the forerunner or the herald of the coming Christ. He is actually the cousin of Christ as well, humanly speaking, and was born about six months before Christ. So he is coming and he is proclaiming a clear message. What is his message? Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Prepare the way of the Lord. And how do we prepare the way of the Lord? It's not a physical preparation. Like if, if, if you found out Jesus was coming to your house for lunch today. I'm just going to guess some of you wouldn't be here because you'd be cleaning your house right now, right? You'd be like, oh man, Jesus is coming. We got to get the house ready, okay? But it's not that kind of preparation. It's preparing our hearts to receive the truth that he is the Messiah. He used baptism as a means of the people preparing themselves uh, unto repentance of sin and faith in the coming Messiah. Baptism did not save them. It was their faith in the word of God and repentance that led them to salvation as it is for us. When he said, repent, the Lord is coming. He's proclaiming the word of the Lord. The minute they believe that word and then responded in faith by repenting of their sins, demonstrating an act of faith, that's the moment they are, if you want to use that phrase, converted or confessing their sins. The act of baptism does not save them. Okay? It's preparing them for this coming Christ. We read of Christ being baptized, and this is a symbol of the beginning of his earthly ministry. This is a public profession of his submission and dependence on the Father. This is him displaying, he's submitting to the Father, his dependence is on the Father. Baptism, in a similar sense, is a public profession of our submission and dependence upon Christ. It is professing that our faith in Christ, or professing that we have faith in Christ, I should say, it is not gaining us our faith in Christ. In a similar sense, we don't get baptized to be saved. We, we experience baptism and we partake in baptism as a symbol of our salvation. It's already taken place. We've already been saved. It's a public profession of faith. And again, I want to follow up to what's in the bulletin there. We are genuinely excited to offer two days. Now, we can do it anytime, but we're going to offer two specific Sundays that we're calling Baptism Sundays. This is September 12th. And October 10th. And if you're here this morning and you've never been baptized following salvation, you were saved but never baptized, then maybe you would prayerfully consider being a part of that morning with us. I would ask you to prayerfully consider, do you know Christ as your Lord and personal Savior? And if you do, are you, are you ready to make that public profession to display to the world, I'm a follower of Christ? And if so, and if you haven't done that, please see me. I would love to talk to you more about that because it's something that I believe is very important for us to do as followers of Christ. Again, if you have a child that's received Christ and they want to be baptized, if they're of age and they understand and they have knowledge of these things, I'd love to talk to them as well with you there. And so here we see the beginning of the ministry of Christ. And it's a powerful moment. Uh, John the Baptist is so humbled by this. He's so humbled by the reality of who Christ is. How does he describe his relationship to Christ as far as worth and value? He says, man, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. Like, that's how much greater than me he is. In another gospel, it accounts for us that when Jesus came to be baptized, what was John's response? No, 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 no. You, Jesus, should baptize me. Not the other way around. And Jesus makes it clear, no, this has to be this way so that things will unfold the way they need to. The ministry of John the Baptist is such a vital ministry in the preparation of the coming Christ, and it prepared the way for Jesus' teaching ministry and his works of miracles. 
In the next section here, we read about the temptation of Jesus. And we'll touch this quickly because it's only two verses. And then we'll wrap up for the morning. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 12. So following the baptism of Christ. And by the way, again, um, verse 11 and 10, rather. uh, Give us great evidence of the Trinity. We see the Trinity here as well. Um, And again, worth noting Uh, Father, Son, and Spirit. We see the Son is being baptized, the Spirit is descending, and the Father is speaking. Um, The Trinity is all through Scripture. And here we see it again on display. Verse 12. And immediately, there's that word again. And did you guys see in verse 10? And straightway. So verse 12. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered unto him. So Mark does give us a snapshot of the temptation of Christ. Now it's a short version. If you really want to dive into some more detail of the interaction between Satan and Jesus, you can go to Matthew chapter 4, and you can read a really drawn-out account of that. But Mark just gives us two verses, kind of the, the cliff notes of what's going on here. But we should pause and note a couple key moments in this temptation quickly. First, he spent 40 days in the wilderness. Obviously, this is implied to be symbolic of the 40 years that Israel spent in the wilderness. Israel failed in their testing in the wilderness, where Jesus succeeded in his testing in the wilderness. He is also considered the second Adam, in that Adam was tested in a beautiful garden and failed. Jesus was tempted in a dangerous wilderness and passed. Satan came to Jesus just as he came to Adam and Eve. But the second Adam, as he is referred to in Scripture, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, through the rest of that passage, talks about that. But he's referred to that way because he passed the temptation that came to him. Mark also points out something I find just kind of interesting. It says here in verse 13, And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. I don't know if I ever caught this before. He was with the wild beasts. Did they consume him? Was he killed by the wild beasts? No, he survived this encounter with these wild beasts. Now, again, just something I noticed this last week. He was with the wild beasts and yet survived. Could this be maybe some indication of his authority over all of creation? We know he speaks over the winds and the waves. We know he can raise the dead to life again. But we also know that he is over the animal kingdom as well. And in the same way, just my thoughts here, in the same way that maybe God shut the mouths of the lions in Daniel, when he was thrown into that lion's den, maybe here for these 40 days, the power of Christ was displayed and authority over his animals that they were satisfied with other things. And he demonstrated that authority over them. Which also could be, potentially a precursor to the kingdom of God where the Bible says the lion and the lamb will lay down together because in great harmony in God's design, there'll be great peace. And so just amazing things in just the first 13 verses. And we're going to get into the first call of the discipleship we see. We're going to get into the evidence that that first verse is true in Jesus's teaching and miracles. We're going to get into that next week. But I want to encourage you this morning, maybe you would just for the next week, just read through Mark chapter 1. Don't start with, I'm going to read the whole gospel this week. <laughs> I mean, if you do that, great. But I find when we make achievable goals, we actually achieve them. 
So maybe start this week and say, you know what? My goal is just to read through the gospel of Mark in the next week to see where God would lead me. I pray that you know verse 1 is true for yourself. You know the gospel. You know the son personally. And if you don't, I pray you'd know him today. But for those of us that do know him, maybe we'd just spend time worshiping him for who he is, the son of God, and that his gospel was given to us. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads right there where you are as we have a time of prayer. As you pray there where you are, the praise team is going to come and lead us in a song of invitation. And we just want to invite you to respond. Maybe you'd come and bend a knee and pray here up front. Maybe for you, the reality that Jesus is the Son of God has, has grown cold to you. That statement has, you've become indifferent to it. Maybe you'd come this morning and say, Lord, awaken my heart anew to the truth that you are, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And your gospel, while given to me, is for everyone. Maybe you would come and just say, Lord, ignite that fire in me again, that I would live in a way that reflects who you really are. Maybe you need to come and say, Lord, I'm, I'm confessing this sin before you because I need your forgiveness. I'm sorry for what I've done. Maybe you need to come and repent of something and turn from it. God's grace is for you, not against you. If you will cry out, he will forgive you. If you're in Christ, he's already forgiven you. And he desires to draw you back into that intimate worship, that intimate fellowship. So whatever it is, I pray that you would respond. Father, may you move, lead, guide, and direct as only you can. Holy Spirit, draw us into those decisions we need to make and help us know we can make them by your grace. And so, Father, we thank you for all of this. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we are led in a song of invitation? Maybe you'd come and respond. Here at the altar, maybe you want to come and pray. Husband and wife, as an individual, a family, whatever God is doing, maybe you'd come and pray and say, Lord, awaken my heart anew. Some are already moving. Amen. Maybe you would come and join them. Or they're in your seats. Whatever God is doing, would you respond to him this morning as we sing?